All right, we are back live with another episode of the Patriot Nation podcast. And at the beginning of this one, we have a very special guest on. It is Ty Dunn. He is the author of a brand new book that came out just yesterday. That's Tuesday, if you're listening to this in podcast form. The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. It's a hell of a book. I'm I'm a few chapters into it. It's amazing. I love it. Ty, thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. Pat, Matt, it is a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It's yeah, the, as you know, the Patriots and Belichick and Coates and Gronk, and they come up again and again. I mean, they, they make this tight end position go as much as anybody or anything. Right, right. So let's start. Let's just start from you know the 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 ballpark view or the I don't even know how eagle eye view. Let's say right. Why do the tight why do tight ends save football? You know whether it's um. Conscious or subconscious, I think we all know that this position is the game itself. It, it, it's football distilled to one profession, one job, because you have to do a little bit of everything. You know, you have you have to block a D end who, by the way, might be running a four four and might have arms you know straight out of a comic book. Um, not not easy to do. Uh, you might have to run up the seam on third and eight, beat a linebacker, catch a ball with everything on the line. As Gronk did time and time again, and, and and I think just I love real football. I'm kind of an old soul when it comes to the sport. So I'm watching games. I'm seeing the product. I'm losing my damn mind like everybody else. Like what what is the NFL doing? Right. You know, overly sanitizing a sport that we all grew up loving. And I I know it sounds a little callous, but violence is inherent to the game. Risk is inherent to the game. There's a reason. Not everybody can step out onto a football field. It, it's the chosen few. These, these are gladiators at the pro football level doing something for our entertainment that, thank God, now we know the risk involved that maybe you didn't know in the in the 80s and 90s that you know right. from head to toe what this can do to you later in life. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into Ben Coates, but I just feel like it, the preservation of all of that, it, it matters. And if the tight end is football, let, let's take it all the way back. Let's travel the country. Let's go right down to Florida and, and hang out with Mike Dicka. Let's go to the bar, hang out with Jeremy Shockey. Let's hang out with Tony Gonzalez, Ben Coates, Grant Kittle. Um, you know, organically through the reporting, it just made more and more sense that th- these are the uniquely qualified dudes that keep the sport alive. Um, and as you kind of find out as you read the book, they, they teach us a lot about life. They make us look in the mirror and examine our own life as a father, a husband, a friend, an uncle, a son, all of that. I, I was doing that myself after many of these conversations. So, uh, yeah, and, and I tell you what, a lot of it does come back to those two, Coates and Gronk. Yeah. Obviously, this is something you're passionate about. Were there any specific moments where that, that stand out when you were creating the book in this writing process or just anything specific that made you say, this is what I want to write about? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it definitely... I guess the reporting evolved along with the position kind of evolving. I, I jumped around, right? I didn't like just hang out with Mike Ditka first, even though it's the first chapter. Um, you know, Ben Coates, Tony Gonzalez was early on, Jeremy Shockey, Jackie Smith. And, and each chapter is, is its own long form story. So, you know, you'll get anywhere from 9,000 words to 12,000 words on, on a Gronk, on a Ben Coates, on a Tony Gonzalez. And, and really their significance to, uh, the sport, what they went through on a very personal level, uh, it, it's mental as, as well as physical, but it still all does intertwine. I think there is a story arc here 
to follow. Like if you're a book lover, if you like to read, I'd still read it, you know, from start to finish because one player does kind of evolve to the next. And there are a lot of coaches that kind of intertwine, you know, Belichick comes up throughout the book for different reasons. And you can kind of see how it gradually leads to him, you know, leaning into Gronk and everything Gronk is on and off the field and in the position, just entering this whole new realm. So um, yeah, I mean, there were so many moments where I was just like, holy crap, like, what did I just hear? I mean, what, what was that story? You know, Jeremy Shockey, that what bar fight? What happened? Um, Gronk, Coates, Gonzalez, and and Mike Malarkey going at it in Atlanta. There's uh, definitely a lot of uh, quote-unquote war stories, you know, from the battlefield that these guys shared that I think people will enjoy. Yeah. I like, you know, it's interesting because you did kind of do it chronologically, right? So each each uh, chapter is, you know, chronologically, hey, the earliest guy or the blueprint or whatever, right? But but I do think it's I find it interesting because like you said, like each chapter is a different player. So you if you really wanted to go, oh, you know what? I really want to read about Ben Coates. And then you start reading about Ben Coates, you're like, oh my God, okay, that's okay. Maybe I'll go back and like read this guy. And okay, well, I wasn't gonna read about Dallas Clark, but I'm gonna, you know, like and so it kind of it brings you in because yeah, maybe you only want to read about these few guys, but then you start reading the book. And I just think I think the way that you that you wrote. I think the writing is good. And and the, the hard thing about nonfiction is that it's nonfiction, right? Like it's, you're writing about historical things that have happened, but when you have the passion and you can hear it in your voice, right? You hear, when you have the passion for it, that's great. But when it comes through on the paper, then it energizes you and it gets you ready. There's a, there's a, um, right, right in the epilogue, right, right in the, at the beginning, right. In the introduction, before you even get there, right. You're talking about like, um, you know, talking about X's and O's and you said, no, this is, this is not the scene at your local bank or neighborhood pharmacy. Imagine walking down the hall at your job, picking up that brown noser in sales by the collar and pile driving him into a desk, then walking back to your office and running more accounting numbers. It takes a special kind of person to play professional football. And by God, it's beautiful. This is as close <laughs> as we have to modern day gladiators. Like if that doesn't get you fired up as a, as a football <laughs> fan, like, I don't know what will, you know what I mean? Uh, thanks a lot man no it's you i mean i think anybody who's taken out a book project hell you better have a passion for it because it's going to be at the forefront of your brain you know all year or two years however long it takes to work on that book and um i I just you know i've always approached the job this way i never want to have interviews with players and sources i want to have conversations with just with fellow human beings and and get inside their homes, get in their world. Like I didn't want to just talk to, you know, Ben Coates on the telephone. I, uh, we got in touch. He was all for it. He said, Hey, here's my address. Come on down. We'll hang out. And we're in his living room, you know, for whatever it was, three, four hours. It, I, I just feel like that that's what something like this takes. If you're, if you're really going to try to you know, get to the soul of the sport, um, it, it takes getting on a plane and traveling all over the place and, and having a love for it. And I, I, mm. I mean it, like I genuinely love the sport. You know, I, I'm sure you guys as well. At some point, you know, most of us played the sport. It's our identity. As, as much as I love writing about sports and, you know, creating go along and having the opportunity, no, nothing's ever going to, I'm going to sound like Uncle Rico here, but nothing's ever going to beat, you know, high school football under the lights, you know, with yeah. all your friends, all your family. And, you know, we here in Western New York, our sectional championship is where the Bills play, you know, it's, Ralph Wilson stadium at the time. I mean, those moments just stick with you forever. And I I just feel like that attrition, the fact that it's not for everybody is what kind of makes it beautiful. Like 
you, you, Tony Gonzalez went through that moment. I mean, he quit the game because he was, he called himself a pussy. He said, I couldn't handle it. I didn't want to get hit. I didn't want to hit anybody. You know, I didn't want to box with my friends in the garage. He's getting bullied. Um, you know, mystical bullying. He called it like the fear of getting the snot beat out of him. And he overcame it. Like he returned to the football field. He brings up a hit and drill with one of his buddies, the hardest hitter on the team where they just lock horns. And that moment forward, it was like he overcame a deep fear within. Mm-hmm. There's something so cool about that on the human level that we, we all face that in life. Football just is, it, it's, it comes with, you know, an element of physicality that you never forget. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's get into coats because I think the coats thing is so interesting. First of all, one of the things that I think people might forget, first of all, coach was drafted in 1990. And what, what some people might forget about the early, those early 90s years, they were mm-hmm. an absolute disaster. And certainly before Parcells took over in, you know, 90, 91, 92, they were a joke. They were the laughing stock in the NFL. And, you know, not just that, but the Sullivans, who had been cheap before, were, were you know, barreling towards bankruptcy, right? And so, like, they had no money, right? And the the sign, the thing about, you know, having to sign out for a second pair of socks, like, they, they couldn't get a second pair of socks without saying, like, hey, I'm, I need another pair of socks. Like, it's just that's the type of stuff. And you hear, you know, I, I love the inside look at it and, you know, the fact that Scar – Dante Scarnecchia was the tight ends coach at that time is so interesting because obviously we all know him as arguably the greatest offensive line coach in the history of football. Right. And now you're talking about, he was the tight ends coach and went down and scouted him and was like, this is the guy we got to get this guy at some point. They ended up drafting him in the fifth round and, and he comes in and he credits Scarnecchia in the book with, you know, with teaching him how to block. Right. And, and I just, I think that it's so the thing about Coates and what's so interesting, and I think what you did a great job of painting him as, and, and I'm sure the type of person he is, is just just a blue collar guy, doesn't care about the recognition. Like even how he says, you know, in the Super Bowl, his best memories is in that Super Bowl of not catching a pass, of just completely manhandling Michael Strahan the whole game, and that's why they win the game. You know, not maybe not, not that's not why they win the game, but that helps them win the game because. He takes care of a, a Hall of Fame defensive end by himself, right? And so uh, it's just it's fascinating to read that type of stuff. And and the code stuff is so interesting because it's a lot of stuff that I think a lot of people don't really know about the guy, you know? Th- those early 90s Patriot teams are so fascinating. I think, you know, b- because the greatest coach ever and the greatest player ever just take the world right. by storm a decade later, we tend to forget – how bad it was in Foxborough. You're right. Drew Bledsoe is talking about signing out for a pair of socks. Um, ben Coates is talking about the, the locker room. There's It's leaking. You know, yep. they, they're pumping in AC when it's cold outside to try to emulate a cold game. It was, it was so bad, but yeah. it made Ben Coates so perfect for the moment and perfect for revitalizing that franchise at a pivotal moment in the early 90s was, hell, from age 7 to age 20, he's on the top of homes. He's installing roofs with his dad who's a world war two vet by the way, and his brothers are fighting overseas. It's that, that was his childhood throwing shingles over his shoulder, climbing up on a ladder. And he wasn't using no uh, electric drill. He had a hammer. He's hammered away all day long. And um, yeah, by the way, here's a couple bucks for your, for your service. He's barely getting anything for it. it. It just ingrained a work ethic in him, a toughness in Ben Coates that, 
that was rare. I mean, he, he loses his dad tragically along the way. He, he goes to a tiny college that has never really produced much of anything. Um, but he, he just had this drive deep down inside of him where, hell, you go to New England and they're cheap as heck. And Bill Parcells comes in to completely zap the culture. And it's, it's ticking guys off, right? He's fi- finding guys uh, for being late, for being overweight. And it's a, it's, a, it's a whole new sheriff in town, a whole new world. But Ben Coates was like the son he never had. He, he loved it. He wanted that. Um, you draft Drew Bledsoe, Ben Coates is his best friend. That relationship is pretty special. It, I, I don't know why. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in there in Boston, the legend of Ben Coates is speaking loudly forever. I, I just feel like he's so underrated in the history of the game. And it's because we don't see him on TV. We, we don't hear from him. He's not shilling to get into Canton. He, at one point, he jokes about it, right? Like, I'm not going to be crying like these other guys, you know, on their way into the Hall of Fame. He didn't, he didn't care about any of that. He did it for the right reasons. He wanted a Super Bowl in the worst way, and he got it in Baltimore at the end, and it meant a hell of a lot to him. And he's yeah. part of a, a, that long line of tight ends in New England, too. I think that's part of the reason he gets as, forgotten as well. It, except for, I don't know, 2019, it's been all really, really good tight ends in New England. So it's it's kind of hard to, I mean, it gets taken for granted. And it shouldn't. And he hasn't he hasn't forgotten to, I think what drove Ben Coates, even as a quiet guy who's, he missed two games in his career. A high ankle sprain that usually keeps guys out for weeks, if not months. And when his mom passed away, that's it. He played through just insane injuries. You know, an, an ankle injury where, you know, a, Cur- a Curtis Martin is looking at him like, how in the hell is this guy playing? He's walking around the facility barefoot because his ankle's so swollen. And, oh, by the way, there's Sam Gass with a broken toe, cutting a hole in the cleat so the toe can so can, can, can stick up. He's, he's pra- there's a reason Curtis Martin, who missed a lot of games in college, didn't miss a lot of games in the pros. It was because he saw Ben Coates and, and Sam Gash day in and day out. But I, I really just think that what else drew, drove Ben Coates through the 90s it is what you kind of hit on. This was a franchise constantly drafting tight ends. It was like they were trying to replace him, in his head at least. It was, yeah. It's motivation. Like, do they, do they want me here? Do they see what I'm doing to, to kind of change the position and change the game? Um, in a weird way, I think it did help take his game to a different level. And we all know what he did as a receiver. I mean, he's this – Yeah, it's funny how our memories play tricks with us. I, I picture him as this, like, 500-pound, 8-foot-tall, like, just Viking warrior down the field just blasting through the bills. It wasn't quite that big, but as a blocker – I, I defy you to find another tight end one-on-one who took on the best pass rushers ever. Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, Bruce Smith, Ben Coates, at some point or another, blocked these guys one-on-one. And go back and watch that Super Bowl loss to Green Bay. Yeah, Reggie White had three sacks. They were all in the second half when Ben Coates wasn't on him. Ben Coates is running routes because they're trying to catch up to Green Bay. Yeah. Nah, he was... You know, he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. And, and part of the problem is that, you know, he's followed by... And, and not directly followed, of course, but he's followed by the greatest tight end, you know, arguably the greatest tight end in NFL history. And so, of course, when Patriots fans look back and they, they, you know, they look back at what happened, they're looking back at the Brady years and they're looking back at the the dynasty years and they're thinking, okay, you know, Ben Watson was okay, Daniel Graham was fine, and then Gronk comes in, you're like, oh my God, he's unbelievable. And then it's like, well, yeah, but like, remember when Ben Coates was doing like the same thing that Gronk was years before? And, you know, I think, I think part of the reason he looks so big is he had those freaking massive shoulder pads that you were just like, you know, offensive, offensive tackle shoulder pads. I'm like, how could he even lift his hands over his head with those freaking things? You know what I mean? But, but, uh, but it was, it was great. And I think I really do like, 
the the attitude that he had was so perfect for this. You know, you talk about Parcells and Parcells, you know, running three a days when he got here in 93 and, and just, and you know, the attitude that Parcells brought in, you know, Irving Fryer day one is like, Hey coach, like, you know, this is me. I'm the guy. Okay. Pack your bag. See you later. You cut like out, like out the door. Like we're just, we're not dealing with this anymore. Right. And so, and everyone got in line and I love that tidbit and you mentioned it with Martin, but I love that tidbit with Martin because those things rub off on other players. And so sometimes we forget that these are like human beings that are in there. And so sometimes when they when these other guys see another guy playing through injury like that and just sucking it up and dealing with it, that then they're inspired to do the same thing. Hey, like I can play through this injury. It's not a big deal. Like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit banged up, but like everyone gets banged up. I can play at 75%. I can play at 80% because a team needs me to and I want to be out there. And so... I think that that, and that's changed a little bit now because the teams are so conscious about the health and everything else like that. But still, there are some guys that are like, "No, I'm going out there and gutting it, gutting through it anyway." So, uh, it is it is really yeah. fascinating, you know. So, um, but the coats, man, there's there's so much good information. And if you're old like me and you remember those years, it's great. And if you're young like Matt and you don't remember those years. <laughs> It's it's a nice little it's a nice little history lesson for you, uh, you know, from those from those early '90s years, you know. That's one of those. Oh my, my god! My dad and I watched the Pats together. We're watching Gronk as I'm like growing up, and he's like, "Hey, you don't you don't know about the the OG with yeah. goats? You gotta." I remember him booting up YouTube and showing me some of the highlights. So you can this is this is the guy who started it. You got to go watch him first. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that makes me feel old, doesn't it, Pat? Like <laughs> it sure does. It's right yeah. in our wheelhouses in their mid thirties. So. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It, the, the the stuff he played through. It's 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 funny. He's walking outside of his home recently, and he you know sprains his MCL. And it's like, what? How, how the hell did this just happen? And then you think about, it, oh yeah, I played through this and this and this and this, and my helmet got turned once, and a little piece of metal cut my head open. And oh, by the way, that's astroturf. They played on concrete in the nineties. Yeah. It's astroturf and. You know, his brand from his, his fraternity just rips open. He's got to stitch that up. Um, it's insane, the stuff that, that these guys yeah. played through in the 90s. To, to me, for my money, that's the golden age for the sport. It, it's yeah. the 90s, but I'm also a 90s kid, too. So I'm well, you know, I mean, that's we're, we're a little biased. You know what I mean? We're a little biased. Yeah. So yeah. Be, before we get to Gronk, because there's a lot to talk about with Gronk as well, there was one tidbit about as I was scrolling, I saw – Tony Gonzalez and I'm like wait a second I saw Tom and I'm like Tom, Tom Brady wait a second caught my caught my eye and so Brady I just want you to tell the story I want you to tell tell, tell the Brady uh Tony Gonzalez story because I think it's a fascinating story and it's something that I wish had happened man I wish so bad it had happened so yeah Tony Gonzalez uh retires from Atlanta um he gets dang close to a Super Bowl right they, they, they made the NFC championship game hosted it and, and he, he was still a hell of a player. I mean, a really good player. And then the year after that, Atlanta wasn't as good. And then he retires. I believe to the book, obviously, I believe he's out of the league for a full season. And then Tom Brady reaches out and he didn't think anything of it at first. You know, Tom wanted to get together at UCLA, throw the ball around. And this is something that players do. Current players, former players get together. He, he knew Tom a little bit, but Tony Gonzalez shows up to this this workout and, and Tom has his entourage there. I mean, Tom house is quarterbacks coach. He's got, I believe Alex Guerrero's there. It's, he's got nutritionists there. It's like a whole team of people, but no other players. It's, it's just Tony. And all of a sudden Tom says, all right, let, let's run some routes. And by God, they, they, they went through a, a, like a real workout. Like it, like they're teammates 
the running routes and Tom's telling him exactly where he wants to be, when he wants him to be there. You know, he's catching passes. I think at one point Tony Gonzalez comes back to Tom and Tom's apologizing like, Oh, you know, I should have, I should have led you just like a tick more because if you catch it this way while you're in stride, that increases your yak by whatever it is, X amount of yards. It's just, it blew Tony Gonzalez's mind how Tom is just thinking at this level. And so they go through this workout and, and Tony Gonzalez is just thinking, yeah, we're just breaking a sweat, getting into it. And then after, after it, Tom Brady looks at him, he's like, all right, you know, you, you want to be teammates? You want to, you want to come back into the NFL and then play a little bit more? And Tony's thinking, no, I can't do it. A, I can't, I can't live in the cold in Foxborough. B, tight ends aren't getting paid anything. And that's a whole other story, how woefully underpaid yeah. the NFL tight end is, especially at that age. You're just not going to see the money. And he thought about it. Um, Tom said, look, with you and Gronk together in this offense, can you imagine the possibilities? Uh, but he he didn't do it. He decided to stay retired. That team was so good. That's 2014. That team was so good. Right. And, of course, they win the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Gonzalez would have had a Super Bowl ring. But, like, my goodness, you know, adding Tony Gonzalez on that team would have just been unfair. It would have been unfair. But, because he could still play. I mean, it's yeah. the, the shape he kept his body, and I I could be wrong. I think he played in like 240 of 242 possible games. Uh, he just he wasn't Gronk and Shockey just looking to you know inflict pain on you and, and lower his shoulder. He he knew how to kind of avoid the kill shot, and it, I mean, really, he he would like jump back right after catching a ball to avoid it. And there was one point, like one of his coaches pulled up the film and was like, "Look, if you didn't if you didn't make this little move after you caught the ball." you're tearing your ACL. So it, even if it was just muscle memory from his basketball days, there's a reason Tony Gonzalez stayed healthy. I, hey, I think he could have given the Patriots something. Not, not that it mattered, right? They just kept winning. Well, right. Anyways. Still, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you hear that story too. It makes me wonder if, if Brady did any any other workouts that were like that that we haven't heard about. And that story heard. just hasn't come out yet. If you're, if you're looking for another book down the line, that might be one of them. <laughs> I'm positive. I, I think you're right, Matt. I, I'm sure Tom Brady has put – because if you're an NFL player, like even if, if you played in the friggin' seventies or eighties and Tom says, Hey, let's throw the ball around. You are getting on a plane you're and right. flying to Tom Brady to throw the ball. <laughs> so yeah. I think he has that power to just do and get any player he wants. Yeah. There, there must be some elite club of just the people who have been invited to play catch with Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if yeah. there's a group chat out there that exists. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh man. So all right, let's go. We'll go to Gronk. Gronk, you know, gets drafted in 2010 by the Patriots. Uh, of course, catches 10 touchdowns his, his rookie year. But what I love about, you know, the Gronk is that, um, or the Gronk uh, chapter by you is that so much of it is pre-Patriots before he gets drafted. So much of his upbringing with his brothers and how they just broke everything and, you know, crushed everything is his AOL screen name, which I, which uh, when he was like seven years old or something like that, is like, yeah, you know, I mean, come on, Gronk. Like, you know, the guy. Chick Magnet or something, right? Yeah, like Chick Magnet 4 or something like that. So the AOL brings me back, man. In college, uh, in college, my buddy and I used to go out. And we, <laughs> we used to go out and we'd put like our away message or whatever. And we'd be like, we'd put the same away message and we'd put like our, you know, uh, we're going out for the night, like, you know, let us know, like, if you if you need me, like, call me on my cell. And it would be, like, our, like, the first six. And then it would be, like, P-I-M-P is the last four. And then we'd put in parentheses <laughs> our actual ones. But we'd both leave the same message. So, clearly, it didn't it didn't actually spell that. <laughs> it's just so stupid. You know what I mean? But, like. It, it was, like, an alternate universe. AOL instant message. It was, like, you hung out with your friends at school during the day. Then at night, 
Right. You know, I am and you became somebody else. Like it was right. like another, <laughs> another dimension. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but you know, and of course there's the famous, there's the famous draft, you know, the tr- famous draft video, which I didn't realize with Deion Sanders first ever TV interview. Um, yeah, that's a good trivia question right there for someone. It's going to win, win someone a, a trivia night one night after reading your book. So, um, but talk a little bit about Gronk and, and kind of what he brought and uh, and what you got out of uh, conversations with him and, and others about him. Man, where do you even start with Rob Gronkowski? I, I think you do start. I live here in, in Buffalo, New York. And ironically enough, we, we were about the same age. Thank God I was in class D and he was like in class A. So we, we never would have been on the same field together or else I'm, I'm probably not sitting here with you. Uh, but, but Gronk was just, uh, I mean, he was a man child. You know, from, you know, as far back as his memory goes, you mentioned the wars with his brother. It didn't matter if it was mini sticks. It didn't matter if it was Christmas Eve. I mean, he he hip checked his his younger brother, gashed his head like on the one uncarpeted spot of the basement and boom, they're off to the ER and they laugh about it to this day. It's all on video. They still have the footage from that. So there's that. And then there's also the story of. I believe he's with Chris Gronkowski. It's, I think we lead the, I lead the chapter with this scene. Yeah, where... Rob's dead is the first is the first yeah. two words of the chapter. <laughs> You're going through and you see that. And it's just, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> That'll grab your attention in a hurry. That was the move. I mean, if, if you were going to retreat from a, a Gronk brother, you ran to the bathroom and you shut the door and you just kind of hit out there until you could uh, – reemerge into society and when rob you know he was antagonizing i think he was wailing him on the back with a hockey stick whatever they were doing over a game of like pogs um with the slammers and all that so rob goes to retreat he gets to the bathroom but not quick enough chris bursts in you know blasts the door rob hits his head on the bathtub and he's unconscious he's out out cold so the funny part is chris at some point just kind of walked back (laughs) i mean there's this period where he doesn't know what's going on and then kind of hits him like Holy crap! Is is Rob dead? Like, what what happened? Should I call the authorities? And then, of course, it's right in that moment that Rob Gronkowski just storms back into the living room, the bedroom, wherever they were, and just kind of beats the hell out of them all over again. So <laughs> it was just absolute craziness day to day. And usually, it was Rob, you know, doing the antagonizing to to any brother. He he is the one kind of instigating. Um, I think he enjoyed kind of getting hit as much as he enjoyed hitting. Because yeah. he he could take it, he could get back up. He, he loved that feeling of getting back up for more. Um, all kinds of stories here in Buffalo, where I mean, God, I he, the, the the mystical story you always hear. I think all of our parents in Western New York would say this: if you're misbehaving, is I'm going to take you to Father Baker, right? He's an old priest. I think he passed away like in the 30s, so doesn't really exist. You know, we're not we're not taking you an orphanage and giving you up anymore. Uh, but Father Baker would he did take it orphans back in the day, so that was something Gordy Gronkowski, uh, the father of the Gronks, would do to Rob. Hey, you you, you can't behave anymore. We're going to send you off. We're sending to Father Baker. He'll he'll let us know you know when you're good to go. And one day Rob said, okay. He started packing his bags, throwing his baseball glove, <laughs> throwing his clothes. He's telling everybody, all right, put the windows down. Tell everybody as they're driving down Sheridan, hey, I'll, I'll see you back. I'm only going to be gone for a short time. And uh, Gordy, to his credit, finds a building to pretend as, you know, the home of Father Baker pulls up, says, all right, we're here. He'll let me know when you're good to go. And and then that's when Rob starts freaking out and, and cries and cries and screams. I'll be good. I'll be good, Dad. I'll change. At one point, Dad's pulling his legs. He's completely horizontal 
as Rob's holding onto the steering wheel. And uh, eventually they go back home. Rob says he's going to be better, and they just go back to being, you know, total debauchery once more when they get back home. Yeah. 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 Life in that home sounds like it could be its own sitcom. But we have the the Gronky Bunch. (laughs) (laughs) It should have been. I mean, there's been a lot out there written and and on TV, obviously, but it doesn't do it justice. I, I think it's probably even crazier than we can imagine. No, it doesn't. And I, I think one of the interesting things about Gronk, and I think where it's fascinating, and I love how, you know, uh, Ben Coates doesn't, uh, never shies away from taking a shot at, at uh, Shannon Sharp uh, about not being a real tight end. But I think that that's one of the fascinating things about some of these guys is that, you know, and you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Tony Gonzalez, but he's not like Coates and he's not like Gronk because those guys reveled in the blocking just as much as they did in the receiving. And I think that that's what makes the position so interesting because yes, it's professional world-class athletes, of course, but also there are guys that they're like, Hey, you know, not only am I going to outrun you, but not only am I going to, you know, run, run the Y option like Ben Coates, you know, perfected and then, and then taught to Jason Witten afterwards, but not only am I going to do that, but then I'm also going to, you know, block you and, you know, throw you out the club and, and block you 50 yards downfield on a legal block, like Gronk did in high school. Like it just, it's just like, no, I, this is what we're going to do. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. Nobody embraced what football was always intended to be like Rob Gronkowski. I mean, he loved that mono a mono, like me versus you all game long. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's a route and it's a cover corner or a safety, I really do think he relished that stuff in the trenches more than anything. And it, it doesn't matter who it is. And we've got the whole backstory on the Sergio Brown, you know, battle yep. and it, their teammates and he goes to Indy and, you know, they're jawing back and forth. Sergio Brown breaks his arm and Rob gets his revenge in a pretty big way uh, on Sunday night football. So yeah, I think that Rob absolutely loves, loves it. It's real, it's genuine. And it left an everlasting impact. Uh, George Kittle to, to this day, I mean, he just gushes, about Rob Gronkowski as a blocker and, and pointed to this is a game. I'm sure all your listeners can remember that divisional playoff win against the LA chargers just a few years ago, Rob had like one catch, right? I mean, he's, in, he's barely in the box score, but George Kittle said that is a game that he puts up, you know, for, for other tight ends to see for him to see it, it, It's a clinic on how to block that Rob Gronkowski just absolutely dominated as a blocker that game. And, you know, it's not going to get you much notoriety. Barely anybody's going to talk about it. Uh, but I think it speaks to Rob Gronkowski and why he is the greatest tight end ever. Not only is he setting records down the field and, and making iconic plays in the past game, but he's just as responsible for all the rushing success. And, and, and just, you know, Bill Belichick, he wasn't that upset when Rob Gronkowski got that penalty for smashing Sergio no. Brown into, no, you know, that camera on the side of the field. He loved that because he yeah. knew, as you said earlier, other people are going to see this. Just as other people saw Ben Coates playing through all those injuries, people are going to see Rob Gronkowski late in the game, late it all on the line, on the line, getting his revenge, going like this on the sidelines, and Sergio's talking and talking. Right. Um, I think it has an effect on the team. When I, oh, I yeah. think that that's, I think that's so fascinating with, about Belichick, and you kind of mentioned that Belichick kind of works his way in here into the into the book in multiple chapters, and in the Aussie Newsom, I was just scanning the Aussie Newsom one, and. and uh, same thing, right? It, it shows up and because, of course, he then goes into the scouting department when Belichick is there with the Browns. And they talk about how how much he pays attention 
to, you know, to the tight ends and how Belichick, you know, playing against Ben Coates with the Browns just sent four guys after him just to just absolutely hit him on every single play. Right. Because he understood how important the tight end position is to football. Right. Two years ago, he goes out and pays through the nose for two tight ends because he knows that those guys are important in the game of football still. Right. And you look at some of the best players in the league. I mean, you know, with Mark Andrews and and Travis Kelsey and guys like that, that they're still making an impact at the tight end position. And I think that it, it's interesting. And it, I'd love to see that Belichick has kind of always been that guy there who's like always cared about it. Right. And uh, and seems to be, you know, on the right side of history on that on that one, you know. He it's, it's a very, you know, small group of coaches who spearheaded the innovation of the tight end. And you can go back to Luke Johnsos, the offensive coordinator of the bears, like kind of showing things to Mike Ditka, um, Sam Tigliano, the Cleveland Browns head coach, having the vision for Ozzie Newsome. Oh, you were an, a split end at Alabama. We're going to bring you into tight end, put a little weight on you. And they're not going to be able to cover you. And we're going to throw you the ball all the time. Sean Payton, Mike Pope as a position coach. You mentioned Skarnakia showing Ben Coates how to block. I, I, if I were to pick one person who's had the biggest influence on the tight end position, I, I really think it's Bill Belichick because he understood, as you said, how dangerous this player can be. I mean, ahead of a game against the Packers in 1995, right? I think Cleveland season's probably lost by then. Kirk Ferentz, who's an offensive line coach for the Browns then, long before his Iowa days, is saying that's the one time he saw Bill a little uneasy. Oh, I've got to deal with Mark Tremura and Keith Jackson. Like, two tight ends. So, you know, Bill stores that in the back of his mind and, and he hasn't forgotten obviously with what he's doing today and, and what he did in 2010, which gosh, we've got the backstory on how that draft came to be. You've got Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, Dennis Pitta, that that draft kind of set the course for the tight end position for the next decade, but go back a year. And obviously I want people to buy the book to get the full story. So th- oh, thank you course. everybody out there for getting the yeah. blood and guts, but yes, Bill Belichick knew Jimmy Graham was going to be something on a football field before Jimmy Graham even knew Jimmy Graham would be worth a damn on the football field. This is before he played a down for the Hurricanes. He had just finished his basketball career. Bill Belichick and the Patriots put Jimmy Graham through a workout down in Miami. I believe Matt Patricia actually led the workout. And they they wanted him to hang around on the practice squad for a year. Hey, come over to New England, learn from the greatest coach ever, greatest quarterback ever. It was pretty damn enticing. For Jimmy Graham, he, he ended up going back to school, sticking around for a year, learning football in college. And then the next year, Bill Belichick misses him by one round and ends yeah. up with Aaron Hernandez. So, man, imagine if there. imagine if it had been Gronk and Jimmy Graham and not Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. I mean, my goodness, that would have been just flat out unfair. And I will say, I do know that the Patriots gave at least a few people in the organization gave uh, Gronk a perfect 10 that year as, as a prospect, which is almost unheard of because he was that good. And, you know, you had the back injury. And so people were wondering, you know, how long is he going to last? And is he going to be able to physically, you know, go with, with the demands of the NFL? And of course he did have some injury history, but like he was just so good that you can't, I mean, if you're going to give one guy in the NFL a perfect 10, it, I mean, it's kind of Gronk because he just does everything so well, you know? He's, he's one of one. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, George Kittle's the, the standard today, but yeah. I, I, I don't think we're going to see a Rob Gronkowski again. The whole package, right? I mean, it's right. everything. It's 
it, it's bringing a, a realness and an authenticity and, and showing everybody that football can be fun. You know, smack dab where we're told football isn't fun. Right. Yeah. I think we all assume everybody's a bunch of robots and lemmings under Bill Belichick. You can't even think you can't, you can't have a soul. Well, it's just not true. I mean, he let Rob Gronkowski live and do his thing right. because Rob Gronkowski was changing football and everybody just kind of understood it. You know, even when he's partying his butt off after they lost the Super Bowl and he had the ankle injury, he's popping the top. He's going nuts at, at right. Victory Field, right? Ironically, in Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that was, I mean, he really, he could have gone in a shell after that. It could have been over for fun Gronk. And I think most players do go in a shell in that moment. Oh, my God. Like, all these former Patriots are, are hating on me. Bill could not have been happy. Robert Kraft could not have been happy. How are you dancing like this and, and going right. nuts? when you're barely able to get through a Super Bowl, and instead of kind of going into that shell, the summer of Gronk kicks off. <laughs> we remember the yeah. summer of Gronk. He, he parties his ass off. He tells Tim Tebow he'll take away his virginity. Like, it was nuts. And yeah. it was awesome. And he, Rob did, did not stop there. So yeah. I, you know, I just want players to be human beings, right? They're not cogs in a machine. So I think Rob is the reason we even have George Kittle, have Travis Kelsey have these tight ends with so much personality. If if Rob Gronkowski doesn't come along, I don't think that Kelsey and Kittle and all these guys are having as much fun as they're having. Right? Probably not. You're probably right about that. You are probably yeah. right about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Pat, uh, we did have one listener question. Oh, yes, now, let's do it. Yeah, we have uh, somebody that listens to us who's a, a huge tight ends guy. He, he scouts every tight end coming out in the draft every year. It's his thing. He wanted your perspective on – just the future of the true inline tight end. Uh, I was curious if you think it's going to split off a little bit more into more blocking guys, more receiving guys. Obviously, here in Buffalo, you got Dawson Knox up there, Travis Kelsey. Seems like there's not as many of the the typical inline guys anymore. Well, obviously, Patriot legend Lee Smith just retired. So, a long time. <laughs> it's crazy that they drafted the new Lee chapter. Smith. He was going to, uh, you know, if I had a little bit more time, oh, God, it would have been great to uh, to get Lee Smith in this book. We, we actually talked at length, and I ran it as a Q&A on my website, golongtd.com, if you'd like to join. Um, but awesome, awesome. Dude. But he, he was exactly that, and he was an extended offensive tackle who, you know, caught a handful of touchdowns but just embraced that 12-round knockout, drag-out fight. I, I think that uh, there is a play. If, you, if you've got a guy who can be that, there is a role for that player. In terms of somebody who can can play in the line and in the slot and out wide and kind of do a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. they're hard to find. You know, Mark Bruner is a scout with the Pittsburgh Steelers now, and and it, he is that throwback tight end. You know, with the Steelers, we've got a chapter on him in the book where yeah, he 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 played that way, and now he's a scout trying to find tight ends for the Steelers. Yeah. And you know, I asked him that exact question, like how hard is it to find somebody who did what you do and just blocked in line. And he was blunt. He said it, it's unbelievably difficult because colleges just don't ask tight ends to do it much. You know, the, the, the spread really kind of you know, goes crazy with Chip Kelly a, a decade ago. And, and right. now everybody has some version of the spread and, and everybody's going nuts, throwing the ball 50, 60 times a game. Tight ends just aren't asked to block a hell of a lot. So I think you're more so, as he said, looking for somebody with a willingness to do it. And if they've got that willingness, like they saw in, in Pat Fryermuth, and they drafted him, then, then yep. you can coach him up from there. You, you can show him the technique, and it, it might take a few years, but maybe they get to that point where they're a complete tight end. Um, other than that, I, I think the teams are just in a constant search 
for the matchup nightmare. The the athletic phenom, uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle uh, Pitts is yeah. At, yeah. I know his numbers haven't been great this year, but all these tight ends really think he, he's the one that could finally get that tight end paid once and for all. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But if you don't have that athletic freak, you better be looking for one or you're going to be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's and the Jimmy Graham thing is interesting because, like, you know, he tried to get paid like a wide receiver, right? And and they eventually denied him, right? He tried to he tried to get the franchise tag under the wide receiver number instead of tight end number, and they were like, "No, you're a tight end," even though he basically played wide receiver, right? And so it is, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. And you mentioned earlier, like it's kind of not fair to these guys that they're doing way more than the run than the wide receivers are doing, and they're getting and they're getting paid a lot less, you know. And they, they get judged like an offensive lineman and judged like a wide receiver. Right. At the same time, yeah, you can't you can't live up to both standards at once unless you're Gronk, obviously. Right. I mean, it, I mean, Dallas Clark said, "Hey, we're we're the redheaded stepchild. Like the linemen don't like us because we step on their toes. The receivers don't like us because we're taking away their targets. Like nobody likes us. His best friends were the specialists at Iowa and Indy because it just it feels like you're you know you're in the cafeteria, you're trying to figure out where to sit, and you don't you don't really know where to sit." Do I fit in with the jocks? Do I fit in with the nerds? Do I fit in with the the gothic crew back here? I don't know. I'm a little bit of everything. Uh, But that's what forces you to kind of be a well-rounded human being. I mean, all of these guys to a man say, I'm a better person because I play tight end. I had to do it all. I had to do the shit I didn't want to do, Tony Gonzalez said. I I didn't want to go to this seven-on-seven blocking drill and get all bruised up. I I don't want to do that, but I had to. I had to do it. It's part of my job. Um, so it, it makes you a better husband, father, all of that stuff. And um, th- that's why I think yeah, it's a football book. It's a tight end book. But I, I, I know I'm just talking to these guys myself. I wanted to be a better human being. Like they just teach you so much about life with everything they've been through. Yeah. It's a great point. It's a great point. Well, listen, Ty, thank you so much, man. You've given us a, a ton of time. We appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to read the rest of your book. Um, you know, it is out now at all your bookstores online at the actual bookstores, brick and mortar stores too. Uh, you know, go out there and get this book. Um, but, uh, can you just tell everyone, you know, where to find you, where to find the book and, and, uh, and, you know, let everyone know. Hey man, I, I really appreciate it, Pat and Matt. This, this has been a lot of fun and just try, trying to get the word out to the, to Patriot, the Legion of Patriots yes. fans, because I know it's, it's a different breed and I appreciate it. So we've got a, a lot of, a lot of Patriots content in the blood and guts. So, yeah, Amazon, probably the easiest thing to do, right? We all live on Amazon, but Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold, I would, would love it if you, you gave the blood and guts a read. I'm hardcover, Kindle, Audible. Thank God we have a really good narrator for the Audible. You don't have to listen to this voice. It's it's, it's much more blood and gutsy than I can provide. Uh, and, and yeah, the day job of golongtd.com is, is my newsletter, and I just do long form, a lot of profiles, deep dives on go. teams. And you can just hop on the free list, and if you like what you see, you can always upgrade to a paid subscription. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Ty. I appreciate it, man. And uh, go on buy his book, for goodness sake. Like, come on. You know, it's like, it's good. It's, I'm not going to lie to you. It's good. I tell you. Do it. You know, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Everyone knows, it listens, I'm a teacher, and I do this, and I have three little kids at home, and I have zero time, man. And I enjoyed the heck out of this thing, and I can't wait to to dig into the rest of it because the writing is good. The stories are great. It's uh, it's It's a lot of fun. Awesome. God, I, I really appreciate that, man. That, thanks so much. And I know how busy everybody is in the world. I just want to make, make it worth your time. So right. that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. That, that's music to the ears. Thank, thanks so much.
Yeah, yeah, you got it. Have a great day, all right, man? You too, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. All right. All right. That was great. Heck of, a, heck of an interview right there. So everyone go out and buy Ty's book. I mean, come on. You know, it was great. So, all right, let's get into uh, let's get into a um, a little Bears little Bears preview here. Okay, a little Bears preview, and you know, I think it would be pretty fitting. I mean, wouldn't it be fitting on the week that Ty's book comes out if Hunter Henry has another big game, right? Uh, had a you know caught a touchdown Smith. pass. Oh, little Johnny Smith. Smith actually, he had that one. He had that one big catch. He did have that one big catch, and you know, I I him running in the seam. I mean. Man, he's got that yak ability. I think him running yeah. in the seam is, would be a lot of fun to see. Well, and, and the first guy to hit him is not usually the guy that brings him down. Right. Right. That's usually the case, right? Similar similar to some of these other guys. So yeah. uh, so we shall see. Listen, I, I don't know. Do we need to spend a ton of time previewing the Chicago Bears? Like, are the Chicago Bears, like, that good? I almost feel like this is almost like a little bit of a trap game for the Patriots because the Bears are so bad. Well, and this is something I think Brian Hines I saw mentioned earlier. Somebody I saw, uh, somebody was talking about it on Twitter about Bill kind of talking about talking up this Bears team and how right. good their offense is. The offense has not been productive this year, but the one thing it's been able to do is get explosive plays. They're actually one of the better teams in football at creating explosive plays. They just have no consistency. Right. This is one of those games where if they get a couple more explosives than they usually do or they're just a little bit more consistent down to down than they usually are. All of a sudden, the offense might be scoring, turning turning three points into seven, turning zero points into three on a couple of these. And you go from giving up maybe 10 points in it to giving up 20 just like that. Right. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, they played arguably one of the worst games of all time last Thursday against against the commanders. They lost 12-7. They had like 350 some odd yards of offense like they had a lot of offensive yards. They just couldn't get the ball into the end zone, right? And, and so they it's like at the end, it was it two drops in the end zone, two and drops in the end zone, and Mooney. Yeah. I mean, just an absolute soul crushing defeat with Mooney. Yeah. You know, having the ball and not being able to carry it until he was out of the end zone instead of in the end zone. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me, guy. And then and they so, looked like you know, traffic cones in the in the process too, wearing all that orange. Oh, so it was that was brutal. That was bad. Yeah. It just I just don't. Sometimes I don't get it, right? I don't understand why you would ever wear something. You're the you're the Chicago Bears. Why are you wearing an orange helmet? It just looks they, stupid. They at one point wore orange helmets when they were leather in like the 30s. That's I think the only time in the history that they've ever done that. Right. Uh, it's been since it became a helmet in 1950. I want to say, um, full time. That's they've worn navy blue the entire time. Yeah, I get. I was. I get embracing the alternate look and doing something fun with it but not the bears well, and you then know the commander said i just i'm gonna vent about the uniform part of this because the commanders in that game too i they're wearing they're jerseys are terrible anyways well they're awful and then did they is dan snyder so cheap that they can't afford color <laughs> Probably, from the yeah. way from the waist down it's just plain white it looks like Looks like they had the team manager run into Coles on the way over, and they grabbed fifty-three pairs of white leggings. And it just, like, yeah, it was bad. You have, can you not put a stripe anywhere on it? On it, <laughs> that not in the budget. Yeah, it just it's it's just bizarre. You know, when I was on with a with a Bears guy last night, and he was saying, um, white helmets for the Bears would look cool. I think I think he's on the orange. There. White helmets would look pretty cool with you know the black or the or the dark navy. Um, 
shirts yeah. with a white helmet that looked pretty sick i think so better, um, better certainly than better than the orange that's for sure right if you're gonna have yeah. an alternate helmet like have it be something like that you know so and i, and I, I like the orange jerseys too i got nothing against the orange jerseys i think that kind of works right it's just yeah, that's too much orange for the bears it's, that's correct that's it, correct. it looked well, like I, it looked like we were watching illinois versus like minnesota in a big 10 game and well, that's what i was gonna say it wasn't just the uniforms it was the play on the field well, too yeah <laughs> I, I was gonna say i thought i don't know if it was you or not. i might have been keegan but you were like I think it was you that said, you know, you turn the game on and if you hadn't known it was the Chicago Bears, you wouldn't have known it was the Chicago Bears because it was just like, what the hell are they wearing right now? So, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's uh, I, what this is. I think this is going to release in your podcast feeds on Friday. So right. I think you're going to when I'm saying this, it'll be after it. But the Thursday night game this week is just kind of another variation of that. The Saints announced that they're going to be wearing all white, no stripes oh. anywhere with the, the gold oh. helmets. And the, the Cardinals are wearing all black from head oh, to toe, God. which I just look at it. And I'm like, your name is the Cardinals. You're named after a red bird. How, where's, the, where's the black? Just, you're just, just you're going to you're going to turn on that game and it could be literally any two teams that won't it be. It won't makes, look any different from a Mac game on Thursday night. Right. It just doesn't. It makes no sense. I don't <laughs> understand it. Like why? I don't know. It, it drives me crazy. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. We, we got some little fashion talk uh, out of the way. But I do think the Bears, one thing about the Bears that I do think is interesting is that, you know, I thought that I obviously everyone knows I loved Fields coming out. I wanted the Patriots mm-hmm. to draft Fields. Of course, they didn't. The Bears trade up for Fields and drafted him last year. And basically used two years of first round picks on, you know, on, uh, on Justin Fields. And it's looked pretty bad. It's looked pretty bad so far. I, I wonder how much of it is the offense and how much of it is the scheme, uh, and how much of it is the players around him or the lack of players around him because they're freaking terrible offensively. Um, and so maybe that has something to do with it, but he has not been impressive throwing the ball. They have not allowed him to throw the ball. And, you know, if I were if I were the Bears coach, I would go into this game thinking the Patriots are going to try to do one thing, and that's stop the run. And the Patriots are going are gonna to stop the run, number one, obviously from Herbert in Montgomery, but also from Justin Fields, right? Because you got to think that them running the ball is the only way the Patriots can really beat them. And if I were the Brown, if I were the Bears, I might look at it and say, you know what? I'm going to come into this game and I'm going to try to throw the ball because the Patriots aren't going to be prepared for that. And I'm going to try to throw it as much as I possibly can, uh, you know, and kind of go from there. And, and just because that might catch them off guard, if you just run into the teeth of the Patriots defense, they did that to the Browns last week and the Browns didn't have much success. So it's like, try something different, do something that they're not expecting, uh, you know, and put the hands in, in, put the ball in the hands or put the game, I guess, in the hands of your young quarterback and see what he can do. That's what I would do. Uh, we'll see if they do or not, but that's what I would do. Yeah, I think there was kind of two facets to that. One, we don't know the health of the Patriots defensive line right now. And we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. The team yep. doesn't practice till Thursday this week because they this is a Monday night game, which wow, that we'll talk about this being a Monday night game after and just the state of primetime football. Yeah, but um, we so we don't have an injury report at this point. But Very true. Guy didn't guy still didn't play last week. Barmore left the game early. He was seen at the team facility today. We don't know his health. If they're down both of those guys, maybe you do try to run. Maybe you do commit to right. it because they've been decent at it. Yeah. But this is a passing attack that has that's where the a lot of the explosive plays have come. Fields likes to throw the ball deep. He and he's not he's not bad at it. He, he's at least somewhat decent at it. The Bears just do not throw the ball. 
they have not thrown for more than 200 yards in a game this season. In fact, they have two games under 100 yards passing. They have a game under 50 yards passing this year. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What are we doing? This is 2022, just, people. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think it would make sense to try to do a bunch of play action and try to do some deep shots. Um, but again, it's I think what's also apparent in this offense is that there's no short or intermediate passing game. They're always trying to go deep. And right. I don't think that bear that Bears offense trying to pick up 10 yards at a time through the air doesn't scare me because I don't think they're going to be able to do that all the way down the field. I agree. They're I agree. Probably, they'll get some field goals. I don't I don't think they're going to get shut out. Fields may not throw a pick. Or they may take care of the ball a little bit more than some of these past opponents the Patriots have gotten. But it Fields still very much feels like a rookie quarterback at this point in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I just, and you wonder, you wonder how much of it, you know, Eberflus is in his first year as a head coach. You wonder if it's some growing pains with him and what his, you know, and, and kind of what his offense looks like and what his scheme looks like and how he's trying to fit that into what Justin Fields is. Then you also wonder, well, yeah, he took over the job and they got a new GM over there. And do they think that Justin Fields is the guy? Do they think that he's not the guy? And that's why they're not giving him any, but you know, like, I don't know. You don't know that they come into this situation already. Um, and they're playing bad enough that they might have a top 10 pick next year. Yeah, uh, and it. so, you know, they could be, and it looks like a fairly loaded class for, for quarterback. So, you know, interesting decisions coming up for the Chicago bears, I think. And I think this kind of, this is one of the flaws of just, being an NFL GM and the way it comes last year, they're there. Um, the GM there knows that I got I, the only way I'm saving my job right now is if I find the quarterback. So you're mortgaging the future because you need it for your own job security to go, to go get a quarterback. Yep. Well, you might have you might have gotten the guy. Fields is still very much a question mark at this point, but no first rounder, so they can't they can't add a, a starting offensive lineman to help him out this year. Um, there's just nothing around him. There's really nothing on this team. And then you add on the fact that there's they have no money. If you looked at this team, you would assume that the Bears are well under the cap in choosing not to spend. That is not the case. They have sixty-four, nearly sixty-four million dollars in dead cap this right. year, and a lot of that is from Khalil Mack, twenty-four million dollars there. They got almost thirteen million dollars in dead cap at the quarterback position between Andy Dalton and Nick Foles, and the the big positive of having the young quarterback is that you have money to spend around him. And I mean, heck Patriots have some bad contracts out right now, but they spent to put guys around Mac Jones. And even those bad contracts don't hurt as bad because you're not spending 20, 30, $40 million on the quarterback. Right. Well, and I, in some ways it's free money if the quarterback's playing well. So the bears don't have any money to put for, to talent around the guy who they traded up to get. And they don't, they can't, Put rookie quarterbacks, not rookie players, next to him because they gave away the picks. It's just, what is the strategy? There's nothing. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't out there with nothing around them. It doesn't make much sense. It really doesn't. But I will say, I I just think I think it's interesting. They do have a ton of cap space next year opening up. Mm-hmm. So all that all that dead cap comes off finally. Correct. Right. So you know, it's it's an opportunity for them to to kind of go after it, but. Yeah, your roster is just depleted right now. And, you know, because you trade away that that first round pick and now the guy you draft and, you know, as your wide receiver slash return guy is Velas Jones. Like 
that's the guy you draft to be your number one wide years receiver. Old, just special like teamer, and he can't, yeah, he can't catch punts. Yeah. He has multiple muffed punts this season. Yeah, it's you know he's a guy that you know who knows what's going on in his head mentally right now, but it's not good. It's not good. No. I can tell you that much. So it's just no. it's interesting. It's one of those things that you know the Bears watching. I think that the the Chicago Bears ultimately the Patriots should win this game and they should win this game fairly easily. I just think that the Bears don't really pose much of a threat to the Patriots. I think the Patriots can do or are going to be able to do pretty much whatever they want um, in this game. I think the Bears' defense is fine. The biggest question for the Patriots is who's going to be starting a quarterback, right? Mike Giardi comes out and says it looks like Mac Jones is going to be somewhere between 80 and 95% ready to go this week. Well, did is he say that, ready to go this? Did he say that for this week? Well, eighty did to ninety-five percent today. I thought that uh, said today because if that's how he feels today, that's a lot of time for him to to get to 95 percent. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, you might have, you might be right that he did say he's about eighty to ninety-five percent today. I thought, I thought though, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll try to find it, but I, I either way, right? It's one of those things for me that I just, I am cautious now i'm cautious about bringing him in right i'm cautious about putting him back in if he's not 100 healthy because there's a few things okay there's a few things for me about mac jones that i'm a little bit worried about number one it's the fact that if he's not healthy he's not going to look as good as he normally does if that's the case now zap zappy looks even better Right. And Zappi looked has looked extremely good. And I know that. Okay. But I do find it interesting where you start start to look at it and you wonder, like, okay, like, are we are we in this position now where um you know where if he doesn't play well, we're considering benching him? And I don't know if that's the case. I really don't know. I you know, I don't know where the Patriots are at this point. I just wonder now, like, you know. Or do you want to wait until he's fully healthy, until that ankle is fully healed? Right. We just got to, we just we just talked to Ty Dunn about playing through injuries, right? And it's yeah. funny that we we're talking about that. And the ironic thing is that Mac wants to play. If it was up to Mac Jones, he would have played week one, right, of this injury. Like he doesn't care. He'd, he'd be out there playing, but it's not up to him, right? It's up to the team. And so I like the the willingness to play through it, but I almost wonder if the team is being extra cautious. And you can be a little bit more cautious because your backup quarterback's playing so well right now. Yeah. And obviously that helps. Um, and I, I mean, we're, this is all speculation right now because we're outside the building. Right. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to how Mac is feeling about his own body, how he actually looks in practice doing this stuff, what his mobility level is. I think the real big thing is going to be stamina. It's a, He can clearly throw the ball a couple times in practice. Can he do it 60 times? Can he can he drop back and do all the handoffs and do all of that stuff and and feel okay at the end of the game? And can he do it without risking re-injury by and large? I think you can it's football, people are gonna play it banged up. You can risk a little bit of injury there, but this can't be one of those situations where somebody steps on him the wrong way, his season's over. Right. And we're probably we're probably past that point of this if it's been this long and the fact that he's already he's been practicing for a couple weeks now i mean it's um i would expect him to play monday based on what we know right now without the injury report yeah i will say though i don't think you can 
I, I don't think you take into account who the opponent is at all. I think that is the wrong way to do it here. I agree. The Bears have the Bears have won two games this year, mm-hmm. despite they're only one game behind the Patriots in these standings right now. And for as good as Bailey Zappi has played, he's been really, really good through two and a half weeks, especially two starts. They're also against bad defenses, and they're also heavily relying on play action. And all it takes is uh, the Patriots defense doesn't come out to a hot start, and the Bears get a touchdown drive because Fields is feeling it. And then Bailey Zappi throws a pick six, and all of a sudden you're down 14 nothing at home in Monday Night Football to the Bears. And you're looking around saying, man, wish we had Mac plan. Because right. this was a winnable game, and we don't feel like we can come back at this point. Yeah, you never. You it's football. Weird stuff happens. You you never. If a player can play, you're you don't want to sit them just because eh, the opponent's not that good. This isn't this isn't college football. That's not some FCS school lining up on the other That's side. Correct. These are these are professional adults paid to do this for a living that also want to win. So you got to put your best foot out there. Whether Mac is part of that best foot right now, we don't know. Um, but. Hey, they didn't make the decision until Saturday last week. Right. That's and Mac flies for the team. I think that says a lot. I mean, we can all speculate from the outside. If he's traveling with the team and they're not making the decision until Saturday, that tells me he's probably close and mm-hmm. tells mm-hmm. me that Mac's going to be the guy. With, and I'm I'm not surprised about that. But if you wanted an indication, that means he's probably the guy. He's gonna be the guy when right. he up. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I had the wrong. I had the guy wrong. It wasn't Giardi. It was Doug Kide, uh, who oh, said, yeah. according to a source, that currently, meaning today, Mac is at eighty-five to ninety percent. Um, you know, and so he's close. He's not a hundred percent, but he's close. And so the question becomes, and I, I think, I think you're right about you know the fact that the the opponent doesn't matter. What does matter is the long-term healthier quarterback. And if mm-hmm. you feel like Mac Jones is your guy, 100%, he's the guy moving forward. We know this. If you believe that, then you then in my opinion, you want to wait till he's 100% with an ankle. Now, if it's a left shoulder injury, it's a left shoulder. Brady played through a left shoulder in 2002. He can play through something like that because it's a left shoulder. It's not the end of the world, right? Yeah, okay, maybe he's got to – maybe, you know, at some point he's got to get something worked on during the season or he has to miss a game or something. Like that, but it's not going to It's not gonna ruin his season. An ankle can ruin your season, right? And that can stick with you. That's something that doesn't go away that you need to use on every single play, right? And, of course, not that you don't use your non-throwing shoulder, but still, you get the idea. So, to me, you know, it's about do we care more about – a Monday night football game, winning or losing a Monday night football game in week seven of the season? Or do we care more about the long-term health of our quarterback? And if we feel like that week seven Monday night football game is going to jeopardize the long-term health of our quarterback, well, then we make the decision to say, you know what? We're moving on. We're just, we're going to, we're not going to play Mac because we feel like even if it means we lose this game, even if we have, even if we don't have as good of a chance to win, it is what it is. You know, because we're more concerned about his health than we are about winning this game. And I think that that's the question that you have to ask yourself. And that's the mentality you have to go into the game. Right. And and like you said, it's not well, the Bears. We're going to stop many ways. We'd stop them with, you know, whoever a quarterback. No, that's not the mentality. The mentality is what's more important, the quarterback or, or the game. And the quarterback is more important. And so you say, well, if we're concerned, he's going to get re-injured and he's still not quite there yet and want to give him another week, then you give him another week, even if it means you might lose the game. 
And I think I think that's true whether or not Mac is the franchise guy here. If he is the franchise guy, you want to obviously protect your investment. If he isn't, he's clearly shown signs that he can be. It's not it's not that he isn't. It's that you don't know, in which case you need him to play more to iron out the kinks. I think we all know there's kinks in Mac's game right now. He's not he's not fixing those by watching in practice. He's going to fix it by doing it. So, yeah, you want him out there. I mean, it's it's that balance. You want him out there as soon as you can in a way that will not jeopardize him beyond what you're typically going to have um, playing football. I'll also add with high ankle sprains. Those are injuries that can be really nagging. And I think there's probably a chance he might not be 100% for the rest of the season with something Correct. like that, especially using that. I mean, he might just he might have a, an added regimen of going to the training room once a day and getting treatment on it for the rest of the year just to make sure it's good because things might pop back up and might get re-aggravated a little bit. And I mean, those can, those can linger. And it's not, this isn't one of those, like we're playing the sport. There's going to be a certain amount of risk there. This can't be one of those where, all right, he might get it rolled up. And if it does get rolled up the way it did before, he's going to be out for two months. Well, if it gets rolled up, it gets rolled up. That's the that's the case for literally every player on the field. You can't correct. put him in bubble wrap. <laughs> yep, that is correct. And and I agree with that. The other yeah. my the only other thing for me, if I'm looking at it from the Patriots perspective, is that it is a Monday night game. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking at a short week the week after. So it's gonna be his first game playing. You know the ankle is gonna be a little bit sore no matter how close to hundred percent he's he is. And you're asking him now to take a full less day and really a full less day and a half Mm -hmm. to get ready for the next game. And so that's where if I'm the Patriots, I might look at it and say, you know what? Let's have Zappy play one more game. And then Max first game back will be, you know, will be in New Jersey against the Jets. And and so, you know, in a divisional game and a game that we have to win. Right. More so. I mean, they want to win every game, obviously. But that's a game a little bit extra that, that you really have to win. And you know Belichick hates the Jets, and the Jets right now are above you in the AFC East. So, you know, you can you knock off the Jets and all of a sudden you pass them because, you know, assuming you both win, you're a game behind, you have the same record as them, but now you beat them. So now you're now you're above them. So I think for the Patriots, they look at it and say, like, hey, they might look at it and say, you know what? Instead of having Matt come back on a short week after his first week of playing. We might give the Monday night game to Zappy and then let give Mac another week to get ready. And then he's a hundred, you know, as close to a hundred percent as he possibly can be going into New, going to New Jersey. And it's and that one works both ways because he's got the extra day this week. That extra day could be the difference between him being 94% and 95%. Right. And 95% right. is the threshold where we say we can do this. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we're going to, we're going to find out. I we think are. either way, regardless of who the quarterback is, the Patriots will be favored, should be favored. And it should, I mean, this is as winnable as they get. Is this the easiest game on the schedule for the rest of the year? Could potentially throw that Colts home game. I think in the that Colts conversation. Are terrible, but I mean, the bears look be- just dreadful. And the Colts looked better last week. The yeah. Colts have things on paper that aren't working out. That is true. The bears don't even have it on paper. <laughs> right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think you're probably right. This is probably the most winnable game on the schedule because this team just isn't good, and they haven't really shown anything. They've shown almost nothing all year long, right? And so it's kind of like, you know, I mean, they got two wins, but they're not particularly good wins, right? And no. so this might be the easiest game of the schedule for the Patriots, and you know, it's at home. 
I will say, I know people wanted them to wear the throwback uniforms. I kind of wanted them to wear the throwback uniforms too until I was reminded of the 1985 Super Bowl yeah. and Super Bowl 20 <laughs> and how the Patriots wore their red and the Bears be, wore their white. And the, the Patriots exact lost same uniform 700 billion to four. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather not have any memories of that game whatsoever. Um, and so I'm pretty confident the Patriots will be playing in their all blue home uniform. Maybe we'll see that red come out again against the Colts or even yeah. later on in the year, maybe against the Dolphins or, or even against the Bengals. That might be kind of cool on Christmas, Christmas Eve, a little red for Christmas could, Eve. Could, I mean, could go, on, you know, that could be, that could be a fun thing. I mean, color rush is seemingly not a thing anymore, but you could do red versus black for Pat's Bengals on Christmas day. I could be. Nice. That'd be a, a fun little game there. Um, I will say the other alternate uniform thing here that could happen is Patriots have silver pants again. T- technically, on paper, they do. And I mean right. that almost literally. Uh, the style guide that was sent out has the silver pants back this year. They're yeah. slightly different than the ones they had during the Brady years. And we saw some players wearing them Not happening. in the preseason. Not happening, Matt. I wish it would happen. It's not happening. I I just, I hate the all blue. I hate it, but they're not, they're not switching back to the silver pants. It's not happening. See what I, my theory on this is that they're going to bring back the silver pants. Once they start winning. My theory is that Kraft wants to wait and they're going to bring the silver pants back as part of a brand adjustment as like, Oh, we're good again. Let's bring out the the Brady look. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Or next year, right next year when, when the stadium's done and they have the new, you know, everything's new and it's huge and it's big. And and now, you know, you, you kind of, the brand adjustment, I think is a good, is a good way to put it right. The stadium's going to look and feel like a different stadium than it is right now. So um, I do think think that that's interesting. I think it's interesting too to throw it in. It's, they the fact that they aren't the 2019 gray pants and they have a different stripe on them is interesting because it isn't this clearly isn't oh we're just going to bring out the pants we had before it's right. uh we're, we ordered an entire new set of stuff for this yeah um, which i maybe they just needed new practice pants they still yeah, wear awesome. the they still wear the old set in practice i mean they still wear the old practice jerseys with the old fonts they wear the old the old navy blue pants yeah or, Early in 2022, they had by accident the old font on the uh, the New Jersey's as well. Mm. They, they had the wrong numbers on it. Happened to Mac once last year too. The really, you, if you look, yeah, here's a fun little tidbit for you. You look at the home game against the Bills. Pretty sure it was the one last season. Um, yeah, it was. You look at Mac Jones. He has the wrong numbers on. It is the the font from the Brady era and not the new one. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So they must just have, uh, the, I guess, the equipment guys just have the old numbers laying around, and somebody grabbed the wrong ones. But right. Yeah. But either way. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting uh, I don't know how that happens. I'm not yeah. in the room. I think it says I, a lot about the quality of this matchup that we've spent. As I was going to say, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Here we are talking about uniforms for 25 minutes. All right. Let's let's get out of here. Before we do, though, we have we have our weekly segment, and I got a good one today. I got a good I did one not today. Look this up, that's okay. So you don't I'm need gonna, one. Give me a stall for me while I look it up. All right. I'll start with mine because it's a good one. Here we go. And now for something we think you'll really like. This week in sports history. So mine isn't one event in sports history. It's actually 
four events in sports history. Okay. And those four events, okay, those four events took place on October 17th, October 18th, October 19th, and October 20th of 2004. That, of course, would be the, Pat- the Patriots, the Red Sox coming back from three games to nothing against the New York Yankees to win the ALCS in Game 7 at Yankee Stadium on October 20th. Uh, just just absolutely incredible. Just what an absolutely incredible time to be alive. Um, it was so awesome. Days. And it was... You know the the if you haven't seen the ESPN thing, the four days in October, it's it's incredible. Uh, it's just that, absolutely that incredible. Al- that alone is probably worth the ESPN Plus subscription. It really is. You get it, get it for a month and go watch that. Like, right. Oh, it's so good. I and think I watched that once a month. So what's funny for on a personal note for me, I was a junior in college that year. So um, we watched Game Three. They got their doors blown off in Game Three at home, and we were like, "This is this friggin' team." We're so mad. And I said to my roommate as we were walking in, "We're like, because I I had a single. We we had a six. It was a six person suite, but we had two doubles and two singles. And I had one of the singles. And I was talking to my roommate, and I'm like, "Listen, man, it's fine. Don't worry about it. They're gonna win eight games, to win the World Series. It's fine." Obviously, joking. Like they had just gotten their faces kicked in by the Yankees. And then they won eight straight and won the, and won the World Series. And it was like, what the hell happened? But it was crazy. It was absolute mayhem. Um, and that was what's funny about it is that, yeah, they won the World Series and that was cool. But it was like once they had beaten the Yankees, it didn't matter. Like the World Series was already over because everyone knew they were going to win the World Series. It was irrelevant. Like it didn't matter. They didn't even have to play the games because you knew. Yep, and it was like you know? it's like the miracle on ice that game everybody talks about was right. the semifinal, and they went right. and won the gold medal the game after. But what everybody remembers is what led up to it, because the right. other thing just—I mean—and it's the greatest. Right? That single series is is the entire reason I will never count any team out of any game. That right. and the Super Bowl, the Falcons, but just of course you grow yeah. up with those things, and it's well you know, when you see something like that. I mean. They weren't even on the same level as the Yankees, right? And to you know to be there, and I've seen you know the alternate angles of of the Dave Roberts deal in Game Four. I mean, when you just you know he gets on base and Roberts comes in, and everyone in the world knows that Roberts is stealing second base. Everyone, everybody knows the whole. How many, all the how many times did he throw over? Three, oh my four, god, five times, a million or? times, right? And it's just like, and he goes anyways, and he gets there, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me man and then for ortiz to come through over and over and over again and of course you know he came through in the tiger series in 2013 and he came through you know he just did it so consistently and that was the beginning of it where it was like what can't this guy do you know like and the fact that that they lasted so long that by the end of the game joe buck's like we'll see you back here tonight (laughs) like you know it's just crazy and that is one of my favorite calls in any sport ever. Yeah. We'll see you here later tonight. So yes. good. Oh, yeah. so good. Fanta- fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Mine is not as cool, but we're, <laughs> we're going back to the same vintage. And this is actually one of my favorite ever Patriots games. All right. Let's hear it. Pats at Dolphins 2003. This is the anniversary of that one. Just an iconic game for so many reasons. 
Um, shout out Olindo Mare for that one. Dolphins was kicker. It tw- was it a twenty-five yard field goal he missed or thirty-five uh, yard? Might have been a thirty-five yarder. I don't remember because he had one. He had one blocked. In he had, there. A, he had, blocked he had a short regulation. one blocked. Yep. Yeah, and then missed one in overtime, right? Yeah, he did. Um, it was you know what, five I think, yarder. Uh, yeah, because then the next play he threw he threw the t- the seventy five yard touchdown pass to Troy Brown, right? It was not the next play. Really? That's the other thing is that then um, Miami got the ball back and Tyrone oh, Poole intercepted that's Jay right. Fiedler. Tyrone Poole, then, yeah, which is just and it's if you've never watched uh, like the Patriots DVDs that they put out. The highlight package for that game is just incredible to watch it with the music. Um, And there's also, they did like the sights and sounds that year, or they still do that today, but they did that. That's on that DVD and the ones for that are also awesome. All the mic'd up on the sideline of the guys. I mean, that was just, that's old school, tough football. 13 going into overtime. And yeah, it's what we didn't, I mean, the controversy around that game too, the coin toss in overtime. That's right. The Patriots, all thought it landed on whatever they called, and Ralph gives it to Miami. We don't, we still don't really have any clarity on what actually happened. There. Right? They were, yeah, they were not in agreement on what side that coin landed on. It was, it's just that whole game, man. And then you know the the touchdown pass to Troy Brown, of course. And you got guys on the sideline sprinting down the sideline <laughs> next to Troy Brown. It's so good. And then Bill, after the game, who never gets animated after regular season games, right? T- mm-hmm. Takes his headset off and chucks him in the air like, ah, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, there was also to set up the Mare field goal attempt in overtime. There was a catch where the guy was out of bounds. He's he lands out of bounds, and right. the refs miss it. And that was that's all the old uh, pro player stadium. Well, it's the same stadium now, it's right? Renamed a million times, but with the baseball diamond on it. Yep. Which I will maintain that is one of the coolest aesthetics in sports is football being played on one of those fields. I agree with the dirt, I agree. and I uh, just uh, something about it I love. Uh, and I just I remember all the shots in that game of like um, Zach Thomas, Steph the old yep. Dolphins linebacker, scrapped scrapped scraped himself up. He's got like blood going down his elbow and it's all dirt and yeah, clay yeah. and everything. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that wow. someone was saying, uh, was it who was it? I think it was Morton Anderson. Was a part of my take and was talking about those dirt fields. And he goes, look. I don't care. I'll kick on any surface, but the hard part is when I start on grass and then go to dirt or I start on dirt and then go to grass. He's like, if I'm kicking on dirt, I can kick on dirt. If I'm kicking on grass, I can kick on grass. But if you're asking me to start on one and then go to the other, that's a challenge because it's a little bit of a lip there and the footing is a little bit different and everything's just a little bit off. And so, you know, it's one of those things where if you play there and you play there consistently and if you have a coach that is paying attention, knows what they're talking about, you're going to get into those spots so that your kicker doesn't have to do those things. Right. And so it is interesting when you when you, you know, watch some of that stuff. And of course, you know, Belichick's talking about, you know, is the is the dome open and all these other things. And, you know, how detail oriented he is. And so. That's obviously something the Patriots have always have have considered, but some some teams don't, and then that's a detriment to to you know to their kicker. So, hey, you want to? We were talking about the uh, like the Packers game, the Cowboys game, and all that in overtime. You want to know why sometimes Bill is willing to let the other let things play out in overtime and play to stop the touchdown and force the field goal attempt, stuff like that. The guy yep. getting it blocked, just, and a couple of the names that show up in that game, obviously Brady to Brown. Uh, Brady to Givens is the, is the touchdown mm-hmm. that ties it. 
Seymour is the guy who blocks the kick. Uh, Rodney Harrison forced a turnover in that game. So good. Uh, he, or he he recovered it. Roman Pfeiffer had a forced fumble. Teddy Bruschi had a forced fumble. Just, I mean, these names. Um, yeah. And for, for the Dolphins, I mean, Jason Taylor, Larry Chester, Terrell Buckley, guys who've recovered fumbles for them. Um, yeah, so good. Stuff that those, really brings it back. Those were great teams. The 03, that, that run for the Patriots, 03, 04, was absolutely outrageous. And 04, you know, they're the best team ever. They're, they're, I think the 04 team might be the best Patriots team. I know the 07 team could probably give them a run for its money. But that and 04 the 2010 team, team, the 2016 team, there's a couple of iterations. Yeah, but that 04 team was outrageous with Corey Dillon at running back, and the defense was incredible, and that, that team was awesome. They went 14-2. and two. They went 14-2 back-to-back years. And, you know, what, 34-4 and four in two years? Not, not too bad. Um, but, now, you know. You, you look at the games that they lost in 04, too. It's a game in Pittsburgh where you're really injured. And yep. a game and in Miami, Miami that you basically oh. had won. And we, Brady we throws talk it about backwards or whatever. Like bad. we talk about Max bad decision making interceptions. Like for as good of a quarterback as Tom Brady obviously is, as the best player to ever play the game, he has not always been that guy. He has not always been perfect. He lost right. the Patriots in that game, and he said he so in the press conference, which is yeah. you learn from that. It, it's okay to lose. One, if you're only losing two games a season, losing one like I mean, yeah, you're off exactly. setting it, <laughs> right? But right, it's exactly. not like this guy hasn't made his fair share of bad decisions. Yep, hundred percent. So, anyways, all right, we had a long show today, but thank you for sticking around. We we appreciate you, people. Monday night matchup, so a little bit later than normal. Um, I will not be around for the uh, for the post game show because I will be at the stadium, and then write furiously writing my article on the way home from the from the game. Uh, so I won't be around, but Matt will be back with Barrett as well uh, for the instant reaction podcast right after the game ends on Monday night. Um, and that'll be in your podcast feeds when you wake up in the morning on Tuesday. So here's, can't beat that, you know. Here's hoping there's a lot of running in that game and it goes quick. Let's hope. I don't want to don't want to be burning the midnight oil. Let's, let's get hope. an entertaining primetime game for once, please. Oh, that'd be so nice, wouldn't it? Listen, take the under. All of you betters out there, take the under in all of the primetime games. That's what you do. You take the under. Why do you take the under? I'm going to explain it to you because it's the one game that's on. You're going to enjoy it anyways. If you take the under and win, it was probably a crappy game, but now you get to win money. If you lose your bet, then you get to watch an exciting game and everything is okay. If you're sitting there hoping for points because you want to watch an exciting game and you have money on the line, well, now it's a lose-lose if it's not a good game. If you bet the under, you get money if it's a bad game, and you get an exciting game, and so you don't win money, but so what, right? Just don't bet too much. Okay. We call this hedging your bets. Exactly, exactly. You're, so. you're betting money against fun. You're going to get one of them. Right, 100%. Unless yeah. unless uh, the Bears blow out the Patriots and score a ton of points. Okay, well, that would be bad. But, you know, yeah. I mean, what, the, the over-under here is 46, right? Happen. You know what I mean? So, right, I'll take exactly. the under when it's Bill Belichick's defense against a young quarterback pretty much any yes. time anyway. Exactly. I agree. So, anyways, pound the under, enjoy the game, and we will uh, we'll see you Monday night. All right, guys? Thanks for watching. Appreciate you. We'll, we'll talk to you soon.